today on the Tearsheet Podcast. The business of banking and the banking business, both are going to comprehensively change uh, going forward. For example, uh, in a recent study that I read, uh, almost more than 30% of the European bank branches, which have been closed due to lockdown, may not open up at all. Similarly, as some report also puts in that number uh, in the US up to 50%. So 50% of the US branches may not open at all even after the lockdown conditions are removed. So that is going to now bring about uh, the new ways of working uh, where from a thinking of high tech, high touch kind of a situation, banks have to now look at low touch, high tech kind of a situation. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. Banking systems were put to the test, surviving the impact of the current pandemic. In many cases, this crisis accelerated digital transformation programs. There is increased demand for digital solutions that require banks to seriously think about their legacy tech stacks and models. Joining us on this podcast is Rajeshakara Visawara Maya, Finical's VP Head Business Consulting, Cloud and Blockchain Business. We discuss banking's role in helping the economy recover and how the shutdown of physical branches and manual processes being unavailable have led to increased access to digital services. We talk about how banking modernization has suddenly become an urgent goal, leaving banking management to question which programs truly make a difference to the end user. Maya Visawara is my guest today on the podcast. Hi, uh, my name is Rajeshekara Vishweshwara Maya, and uh, I am responsible for the business consulting globally for Finacle. Uh, as you're aware, Finacle is uh, a leading uh, uh, core banking, CRM, and digital engagement solution uh, used by banks in more than 100 countries across six continents. And uh, it serves almost more than 1.3 billion accounts globally with more than 1 billion customers uh, being on this platform for last 20 plus years. And how long have you been at Finical? Oh, that's a good question. I have to now calculate. Uh, uh, currently, this is my 23rd year in Finacle wow. and Infosys. Wow. So I guess in a succinct way, can you talk about how this year was different than maybe some of the other years? Absolutely. See, uh, uh, I come from the financial background. I'm a, I'm a certified public accountant equivalent of that in India. So I changed my religion from accountancy to software uh, way back in 1997. So since then, I have seen uh, a lot of... Uh, financial markets going down, the financial crisis taking place. And even though I'm not as old to comment about uh, the 1929 and 1930 market crash, but certainly uh, I have experienced uh, uh, four of them and I can talk about that and how it is going to be different this year. The first and foremost is uh, 1997 when we had the Asian currency crisis here, then followed by that in 2000 uh, years, uh, uh, 2000 issue coupled with the dot-com bubble burst and that leading to the financial crisis. Then we had the famous financial crisis in 2008 and what we have in COVID-19, the financial crisis, which is still unfolding. Uh, from our own experience, compared to the last three financial crises, uh, this financial crisis is completely different from two perspectives. One is the other three financial crises are largely liquidity risk related. Mm -hmm. But uh, this uh, crisis is not just liquidity risk related, but it's also a solvency risk. A combination of liquidity and a solvency risk is making this financial crisis a, a super special one. And that's where you see a 
a global phenomena which is under, under unfolding in terms of uh, banks uh, not just the banks uh, the every industry is having challenges uh, to overcome that so it's a combination of liquidity solvency risk and as well as the geopolitical situation uh, coming out of this is going to create uh, uh, the future that i think most of us who have not seen it so so maya i i'm less concerned about the economic ramifications and more about i guess how that's impacted business operations and and technology plans and customer service within within a lot of your client base can can you talk about maybe the impact that that solvency crisis is having on on the banks themselves the institutions absolutely so if you now look at in terms of uh, at least uh, from the 2000 and 2008 learnings uh, most of the central banks globally and as well as the bank for international settlement they came out with uh, the basel 2 norms and then the basel 2.5 and basel 3 norms which basically prepared the next set of financial crises that led by the liquidity risk can be managed and hence most of the central banks implemented something called as a capital adequacy norm so that the banks were asked to maintain certain minimum capital adequacy so that they don't have to bailed out or they are they are not too big to bail out kind of a situation plus uh, governance around breaking down some of these big banks so that they are too big to fail kind of syndrome so all of those uh, precautions helped many uh, central banks this time to take care of to some extent the liquidity risk but what compounded is the solvency risk and that's what we are also seeing in many of our clients uh, uh, businesses where uh, the governments are now coming out with uh, suggestions around moratorium and uh, reducing the interest rate and making sure there are breaks in uh, the installment payment from the loans or credit card portfolio so all of that is going to have uh, a kind of uh, a solvency risk because many of the businesses are expected to go out of business if they are not supported uh, in time so just to give you our own perspective if you now look at uh, the every such financial crisis whether i talked about the four and i've also looked at some some 112 market crashes that have happened uh, in last 100 years and any any of these market crashes have created situations like uh, uh, the employment going down then there are sme businesses going down then challenges with respect to the income disparity same is coming down but unfortunately many of these financial crises have put the sme businesses small and medium enterprise businesses at risk but unfortunately the sme businesses contribute to almost more than 60% of the global gdp in certain countries they contribute to more than 70% of their gdp and they also contribute to more than 90% of the global businesses and more importantly they contribute to more than 50% of the global employment so when they go down and that is going to have severe impact on every industry and the spending comes down the saving comes down the employment comes down so it will have a ripple effect and that's when the governments and the central banks will go ahead and make sure that they revive the smes businesses in the first stance because once smes recover they know that the employment going to come back the savings are going to come back the businesses are going to go up the gdp contribution will go up hence we have seen every country doling out uh, uh, the funds and uh, subsidies to promote and sustain the smes and this is where banks are now seeing a an opportunity in a challenge 
where they have opportunity to create a very big SME portfolio. Because one is funding is coming from the government. The second one is they should be able to now onboard many of these SMEs using digital capabilities. And that is going to help them in terms of reviving their operations, reviving their digital journey and transforming themselves to take care of the next set of crises. Very well said. And, and one of the things that we've reported on has been, you know, sort of the, the large money center banks focusing on many of their large corporate clients and, and maybe maybe not seizing this opportunity to help some of the smaller clients. In turn, those smaller clients are either going online to fintech companies or they're going to smaller community banks, credit unions. Can you talk about sort of the dynamic, what's playing out, and, and I guess how, how, how banks in general are courting uh, SMB business here? See, there are two aspects to it. Uh, the COVID has uh, brought out uh, uh, two challenges for two sets of uh, banks. One set of banks is traditional in nature, which was planning for transformation to digital uh, in a slow pace because they never wanted big bank uh, rip and replace uh, one day, all branches, all customers, all their channels going digital. And there were challenger banks which started offering from day one a digital only banking, but they were limited to offering digital savings banks and digital uh, uh, kind of a deposit uh, product. But this COVID has changed the, the plates. So what it has done is it has uh, brought out a challenge for all the traditional banks to go digital much faster than the earlier plans. And at the same time, it has also brought up a challenge to the challenger bank to offer full-fledged banking services. They cannot call themselves as only digital savings and digital deposit offerers. They have to now get into SMB business, SMB financing, uh, overdraft and credit financing and letter of credit kind of business. So this is the dynamics where the traditional banks are looking at going digital overnight and the challenger banks are posed with expanding their product portfolio and financial services beyond their digital savings and digital deposits. So this is where you see where the traditional banks has a lot of strength around the domain, the business knowledge that they have accumulated over a period of time, the process that they have gathered all these years and the best practices and the learnings and the mistakes to avoid, but they have technology challenges. Whereas on the challenges bank side, they have the technology advantage, but they don't have the domain, the business practices, the, the best practices and the mistakes to avoid and the, the banking business knowledge for them to now come out with these products. This is the dynamic that we are seeing in and this is where the fintechs are going to come in help both of these uh, uh, entities from the traditional bank's perspective, trying to now digitize their traditional business from the challenger bank's perspective, trying to bring out innovations around SME banking, innovations around digitizing uh, onboarding capabilities and things like that. So I'm curious from Finical's point of view, what have you guys been most busy with over the past few months since COVID hit servicing traditional banks? So if you now look at in our client base, uh, all of those banks have moved into an online real-time uh, very robust uh, uh, core banking solutions uh, many years back. And for them, it is like leveraging that technology to, be, to become mm -hmm. digital. Just to give you an example, 
uh, in the last four financial crises, uh, if you now look at one of the worst hit uh, segment is the retail segment. The retail customers have they burned their fingers by investing in stock markets, in mortgages, and in real estate and mutual funds. And whenever the financial crisis happens, the market crashes and they burn their fingers. And slowly they move their funds from these kind of investments, alternative investments, to bank deposits because that is a safe haven. But this year, the situation was so different that there are no branches open. The people wanted to move funds from the stock markets to the bank's deposits. So most of our Finical customers, because of the technology advantage that they had, they had exposed these APIs and converted a comprehensive digital onboarding capabilities so that the customer should be able to open customers, transfer funds, open deposits and get the a, a, a digital deposit certificate, all of them happening within 90 seconds. And that is the power of many of these banks which leverage this situation to attract funds without branches being open and moving completely to a, a paperless situation and try, trying to take the advantage of uh, onboarding the deposits funds uh, seamlessly. So you're referring Maya, to, to clients that have already kind of are already further along the digital adoption curve because there are finical clients. What about the, the people, what about the banks that have been on the, on the periphery who haven't fully invested in digital? What, what are you seeing them doing? See, what we have observed there, uh, some of those banks have uh, tried to uh, advance some of their plans uh, going digital. Again, there are two categories of banks that we have observed. One, are, one set of banks which were in their journey of exposing the APIs and making sure that they have a digital capabilities uh, from an external uh, facing perspective. The other set of banks which started off uh, their operations uh, pretty fast uh, in the digital journey but they never expected the volume to pick up so fast. So the first set of banks, they have to move digital uh, and advance their plans. The second set of banks, for them, the challenge was scale digital. So moving to digital and scaling digital, these were the specific set of challenges for the banks which are in peripheral in nature. But of course, uh, the COVID also gave them uh, in a way of working instead of looking at uh, coming to office and maintaining uh, uh, the the uh, the relationship uh, in a in a physical perspective with the vendors and things like that. They all moved into remote login, remote working, and remote connections, and a comprehensive, uh, agile way of working. And the the term that we use is the distributed agile. So typically, if you now look at the agile, is largely with the co-location. Whereas the COVID has now come out with a challenge where people cannot co-locate together. They have to now look at still being agile, but having a distributed agile way. And that's how many of these banks are trying to overcome uh, their challenges. So do you think as an industry that we are, we're still kind of scrambling um, to, to return to business as usual? Or have we, have we gotten to that point and now we're looking at, you know, banks are starting to think about maybe their strategic you know, product pipelines for, for the future? See, in our own assessment, uh, what we have uh, witnessed is the business of banking and the banking business. Both are going to comprehensively change uh, going forward. For example, uh, in a recent study that I read, uh, almost more than 30% of the European bank branches, which have been closed due to lockdown, may not open up at all. 
Similarly, uh, some report also puts in that number uh, in the US up to 50%. So 50% of the US branches may not open at all even after the lockdown conditions are removed. So that is going to now bring about uh, the new ways of working uh, where from a thinking of high tech, high touch kind of a situation, banks have to now look at low touch, high tech kind of a situation. Similarly, it is going to now change their mindset while many of the banks earlier before the COVID, they're talking about less paper, less cash, less people kind of a situation. They have to now comprehensively look at moving from less paper to paperless, less cash to cashless, less people to paperless, and less paper to paperless kind of a situation in a much more uh, holistic in a comprehensive way. And that is from the perspective of the way operate. Similarly, the way they create the products and these product has to be from day one digital in nature. That means it should facilitate digital onboarding. It should facilitate digital transactions. It should facilitate digital conversations in a, in a, in a conversational AI perspective. And more importantly, all the financial services which a person could have had in a branch should you now have to move to to the to the uh, digital way so that they should not depend on a branch or an individual person from a face-to-face -face conversation perspective. This is the change from the product perspective. The third one is in terms of the process orientation. We see a significant change taking place in the processes that are adopted in the front office, back office, and mid office. And most of the front office operations are going to be moved from the manual processing to a, a robotic process automation. And a lot of the back office and mid office operations are going to be moved from so-called centralized offices, head office or corporate office to remote locations where people should be able to log in remotely and carry out these transactions without actually coming to the office. This is the kind of a change that we see going forward. Interesting, I just wanna ask a follow-on question to that. So you mentioned RPA, um you know, sort of expanding in the front office. Can you talk about like what that looks like? See, for example, typically uh, if uh, a, a, a SME, let me give you the example of a uh, small and medium enterprise, uh, a proprietor or a, or a partnership firm wants to know, avail some short-term loans or a working capital loan. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, the expectation is that these set of people have to now come to the branch, discuss with the relationship manager, provide the physical documentation about their business, about their revenues, about their profits, and about their projections, then sign some um, 30 to 40 pages of documentation before the, uh, the, the sanction happens, and the papers will move from the branch to the regional office, to head office, and to the corporate office, and then get signed and then they come down. So the whole process is not just it was time intensive, but as well as labor intensive from a physical documentation movement. But when we talk about robotic process automation, how it is going to be now, nobody uh, will be able to come to the branch because of the branch itself is not being uh, around. Secondly, even if branches are around, they are going to be only for specific and special operations, not for the routine operations like this. So these SMEs will have to now onboard all their documentation in a digital way so that it goes to the, the, to the bank, not necessarily to the branch. And there are processes which will filter out using artificial intelligence in terms of the, the ratio analysis of the balance sheet. Then you have the eligibility uh, uh, 
criteria being carried out and what is the net amount to be uh, rolled out then the sanction happens automatically depending on who is in the hierarchy need to give that permission and from there the documentation flow back to the smes in a digital form so they get digitally signed so all of this is going to reduce the time taken from weeks to a, a single day or a two day maximum and at the same time it is also now going to provide a lot more benefit from the entire process automation through a cost efficiencies and as well as the effectiveness of the whole uh, whole uh, activity so this is where we see uh, the robust robotic process automation coming into picture uh, and an example in the sme lending space so that's a very nuts and bolts um, example. I appreciate that. What about, uh, this, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Has the banking, the role of banks changed the philosophically in the, from what your perspective is during this COVID crisis? Meaning, is, is there a transformative, we're talking about transformation of like processes and, and adopting digital, but has the role of banking changed at all? See, banking as, a, as an activity will remain, but who provides those banking activities that will change that's what uh-huh. we've been also predicting so, so tell us uh, more about that so for example if you now look at history of banking which started uh, way back in 14th century where it started over the counter money lenders then they start, started converting that into a joint stock companies then came the financial institutions uh, multinational operations then you had uh, the uh, the fintechs coming into picture and taking uh, some part of the banking business. And now you see a lot of uh, retailers uh, offering banking services and the social networking giants offering banking uh, businesses and telecommunication companies offering banking businesses. So banking is necessary. Banks may not be. And that is what we foresee. So the banks in this current form may not uh, going forward uh, uh, will continue to the same. So they have to change to the the needs of the changing expectations of uh, the customers. So you will see the companies like in India, uh, what I can talk about. So today we process almost more than 2 billion transactions of electronic digital transactions in nature every month. And out of these 2 billion transactions, almost 70% of these transactions are handled not by banks. It is handled by Google Pay, handled by companies like Paytm, handled by companies like PhonePay. So that is the kind of nature of uh, the, 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 the disruption that we are seeing. So in India, you have WhatsApp offering uh, the payment transactions. You have Amazon Pay offering payment transactions. You have Google Pay. Then you have uh, Truecaller, uh, who imagined a true caller kind of an app which helps you identify who is calling you from an unidentified number and they are offering now payment services so that is what we are witnessing and of course it will be coupled with the telecommunication giants and the retailers coming into picture and they all make sure that these banking services are being offered in a much more simpler easier and uh, a transparent way that's a really interesting scenario, and it's one also we've been talking about a lot at Tearsheet in terms of embedded finance. So in, in that type of scenario, and I guess this is the last, this is the, we only have time for this one last question, but who owns the customer, the banking relationship, when, when you have multiple entities, multiple industries actually offering financial services? See, it's an interesting question. So what we have uh, 
witnessing is at the end of the day uh, the owning of customer may not be necessary mm. but what is more important is in terms of the transaction the data that an individual is carrying out for example amazon may store data with respect to the uh, the purchases and shopping that uh, somebody has done similarly google may have information about uh, the maps and uh, things like that whatsapp may have information about the charts and uh, and what gets in, what is getting con- uh, conversed uh, during those charts so ultimately the customer may belong to the bank but the transactions emanating out of that using multiple of these service providers those transaction data is going to be the oil of uh, future so people who have those data they should be able to now leverage that and provide insights on top of it so that there'll be a lot more people who are going to get benefit and more and more these uh, fintechs and startups will be able to use that data and then come out with the relevant uh, innovative products to cater to the needs of this uh, segment so the customer as a, a customer record maybe still from a regulatory perspective kyc perspective may be held by the bank but the transaction originated by multiple of these customers is going to be providing lot more insights for other players to make money out of it that's really interesting and so, and so what is the role of a bank i guess when when data becomes paramount um and 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 customers have other options outside of what we know as traditional banks what is the role of the bank in that in that scenario See, bank will still continue to play the fiduciary role banks will mm-hmm. still continue to play the custodian role banks will still pr- play the role of uh, providing the high value loans and uh, as well as uh, uh, the the transactions which nobody wants to get into like traditional trade finance where you have you need to have bilateral arrangements you need to have uh, uh the country wise correspondent banking agreements and arrangements i think those are all the businesses largely the corporate banking businesses are still going to remain with bank but there'll be a lot of disruptions in the area of uh, retail banking and the retail customers and specifically around the payment products where there'll be a lot of disruptions and a lot of innovation coming into picture i lied that, about that being the last question i want to hear from you maya and and finical like what what do you guys work what are your biggest priorities and what are you guys working on over the next say quarter two quarters as i mentioned earlier uh, this is a challenge and as well as an opportunity for us and our banks are looking at going digital we have a comprehensive digital suit and banks which have already gone uh, digital and we help them in terms of how to scale digital this is our priorities at this particular point in time and uh, just one corollary so the the banks and we didn't talk about this that section the banks that are are focusing on scaling um how, how do you help them see there are multiple ways in terms of whether you want to look at an infrastructure scaling and uh, an application scaling or transaction scaling so for example if banks are stuck with their traditional on premise kind of situation and they have scalability issue we help them move to a much more scalable expandable on demand kind of a cloud environment so that their cost comes down and they will have uh, the resources at their demand so that they can scale out and scale in whenever they want and that is how we help them in terms of uh, the scaling digital by moving all of these transactions onto cloud and secondly we also help them in terms of making sure that the volume as i mentioned in india we have had uh, the the digital transaction move from anywhere between 100 million transactions per month 
to more than 2 billion transactions per month now so we help them in terms of application scaling we help them in terms of the software scaling so that it becomes easier for them to add on more and more this transaction without actually going in for upgrades or migrations and things like that maya it's been great chatting with you thank you for your time today thank you zack thanks for nice talking to you as well thanks for the opportunity